Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast, bud. Another week passed by, the Olympics are closing in on us, NFL season is starting to heat up, and we are one week away from the so-called NHL All-Star Weekend. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, go check out the previous episode where I covered this exact topic and the ridiculousness of it being labeled as the All-Star Game, but you'll get it once I've explained the situation. The UFC 270 also unraveled last weekend, and I gotta be honest, I was left with somewhat mixed feelings from that event because I was probably expecting more from the main event like many others, even though I already knew what the game plan for both guys was eventually going to be. Gane was going to stay out of the pocket and utilize his movement to his advantage, while Engane was going to stay in the middle of the octagon and try to tire out the Frenchman while looking out for chances to knock his ass to the canvas. The biggest surprise to me was the fact that Engano used his wrestling to win the fight at the end, but like I said in the preview, it ended up being a hard task to get off the canvas once the Cameroonian Hulk put his entire weight on top of you, and that pretty much sealed the deal for Engano. Francis did all he needed in order to retain the belt, and I could see some glimpses of Kamaru Usman in his game, where he didn't force anything in that fight and stayed cool, calm, and collected, even though Gane was trying to rattle him with kicks and quick entries to the pocket. And I mean, it wasn't a bad fight by any stretch of the imagination, but seemingly this time the hype went bit overboard, and I take full responsibility for that. But I know that I wasn't the only one expecting a KO finish from this fight. On the other hand, the flyweights didn't disappoint us this time either, and the fourth match is already in the making, so we can only hope that Dana makes that happen sometime in the near future. Absolute fireworks show from start till the end, but this time Figueredo wasn't the one missing a gear from his game, but conversely, Moreno was the one that didn't get everything out of his engine. And I mean, he didn't look like himself during that fight, even though it ended up being a very close contest, and... You could somehow sense it even before the match, since usually Brandon is very calm and fun-loving guy before his fights, but this time he seemed nervous and rigid, and as I mentioned in the preview, this was totally different scenario to anything he's been through before, where he was the one defending the title, and without a doubt that had an effect on his game. While Figueredo wasn't the -the over-the-top aggressive fighter that we've come accustomed to, He was the calm one in this fight and made some great reads on Moreno throughout the match and landed some big shots that could have easily ended this fight. The experience was the driving force and there's no denying the fact that Henry Cejudo, the most accomplished fighter in the sport, brought another element to his game during that training camp he just went through. It was a close contest as said and could have gone either way but Figueiredo was deserving of his win And like I said, hopefully we see these two against each other rather sooner than later. In addition to those fights, Morales and Nurmagomedov took home very convincing victories, so you can say that the new guys are also starting to get their names out there with such performances in the big stage. And lastly, I want to point out the most recent headlines around the UFC since just last week it was announced that the UFC was going back to England and will host the UFC Fight Night on March 19th, and will feature many household names, such as Alexander Dragovolkov, Dan Hangman Hooker, Arnold Allen, and Gunnar Nelson, while the upcoming young stars Patty Pimblett, Jack Shore, and Tom Aspinall will take the stage alongside Mr. Finland, Makwan Amirkhani. In addition to this event, it was announced that Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje was set for UFC 274, and two top-tier welterweights, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, will face up against each other in the UFC 272 on March 6. So, as I've said previously, we got extremely exciting spring coming up in the UFC front, and last weekend's event was only a sample of what's to come in the future. But that's all when it comes to UFC this week, and I think that the intro has been long enough so that we are ready to dive into more NHL-related topics. You already know what this music means. We are ready to head into our episode. So without further ado, let's get going. 
Ladies and gents, we are underway and let me tell you what the hottest topics have been surrounding the NHL from the past week. One by far has been the most controversial one and you can probably guess that it is the signing of Evander Kane by a team that is currently trying to get themselves out of this horrific state where they managed to plummet themselves out of a playoff spot in the West with their most recent losing streak. I told you that something was going to happen, but I wasn't really expecting this kind of move. Where you sign one of the most controversial players in the league to glue your team back together when you have massive gaps in defense and the depth has been nowhere to be found. The guy wasn't seen as a major glue guy in San Jose and meanwhile he can add a big presence and good offensive numbers to their top six. Many would still worry about his off-ice antics that he brings into their locker room. And there isn't just one or two of those which he brings to Edmonton. And the problem is that currently it seems like their problems don't only exist on the ice but also in their locker room. So the question is, what does this signing do to their chemistry when another big character with huge presence is brought to their back operating office? And I'm all for second chances but the thing is that it almost seems as this shadow follows him wherever he goes and the problems just seem to bundle up for him, whether it is related to his relationship or his free time antics. The Oilers were courageous enough to give a chance for this experiment, but how his recent years have went, I just have a bad feeling about this. And it is a common fact that whether you like it or not, the off-ice problems seem to carry on to the ice as well, so... I believe that, at least in the long run, the Oils are going to regret this decision. But the good thing is that he's only signed for this season, so if everything goes sideways, he will be easily dumped without too much hassle in the offseason. But like I said, I don't believe one bit that this is the missing key for their success, and the Oilers have a lot more to do if they want to become a real threat to the top teams in the West. Not to mention, grab the playoff spot back in a competitive Western Conference. Dave Tippett still isn't safe, that's a fact, but the next few weeks after the All-Star break will give a glimpse of what's the next step for the organization going forward. Mikko Koskinen at least has improved his game and boosted their chances during the last couple of games, but how long that will last is just another puzzle to solve. Since so far, the defense has been far from impressive and reminded me of a leaky faucet which has been repaired multiple times by a first-year electrician students. At least, I'm expecting more drama from Alberta, so I won't be surprised if the team does something stupid during the spring and misses the playoffs, even with plus-100-point seasons from both McDavid and Dreisaitl. But we will soon see what kind of an impact game makes and if there's any chance for the Oilers to fix this leaking ship this season without any major drama involved. So stay tuned for another Oilers update in the future. Speaking of drama, do you still remember the 6th overall pick by the Canucks from the 2014 draft, a guy called Jake Virtanen? He was supposed to be the next rugged scoring winger for them for years to come, who fled to Russia this summer because of a sexual assault case. And guess what? The past caught up to him and is now charged for sexual assault. And if his career wasn't already in downhill, now you better believe that his time in North America is over and you just gotta despise the guy and his actions. Because just a couple of weeks back, we heard that another former Canucks player, Reed Boucher, pleaded guilty to a criminal sexual conduct against a minor, and now Virtanen seems to be the second in line to face the same outcome in front of a jury. Wasn't really planning on featuring these headlines during the episode, but since they both happened within one week from each other, I just had to address it since this is seriously not tolerable or acceptable in any circumstance whatsoever. We will see what the outcome is going to be for Virtanen, but I believe that he is going to get exactly what he deserves. I digress. Colorado experienced a setback this week when Nathan McKinnon was added to their injured list following a hit from Taylor Hall in a game against the Bruins this week. 
and at a first glance it seemed as Hall targeted McKinnon's head but from the replays we could see that Hall was trying to force a body-on-body -body contact but McKinnon's stick got stuck in between the two guys which resulted in a broken nose for Nate Dogg and possible concussion from the collision. And you might know how many injury problems Colorado has struggled with during the last two years so you can only hope that the concussion isn't a serious one and he's able to get back on the ice in no time. Since the Avs have found a groove and are starting to heat up, further we go towards the playoffs. Also Bowen Byram's comeback is still a question mark and you can only hope that the post-concussion issues he's been struggling with are starting to fade away since this could be another unfortunate situation where the Avs lose another high-value DN prospect, especially when you look at his numbers from the early part of the season. I had him as my runner-up for the Calder and he has a serious top 4 potential but if these lingering concussion issues will prevent him from playing the timeline for his comeback could lengthen tremendously and to me the obvious answer is to take care of the body first before even considering a return especially when we are talking about head related injuries. Hopefully both guys can make their comebacks as soon as possible since as I said the Avs are on a roll and we want to see those guys in action much rather than in the press box. Greg Batheson also entered the injured reserve list this week after suffering a high ankle sprain and will most likely miss north of two months because of that. And in addition to Batherson, Kevin Langinen will miss at least a few weeks because of hand injury. Tyson Berry will miss some time because of undisclosed injury. Two-thirds of Canadians roster is currently eating popcorn in the press box because of multiple different injuries and many other big names such as Nikolai Ehlers, TJ Oshie, Eric Carlson, Kevin Hayes, Joel Furby, Adam Fox and Dougie Hamilton entered the injured reserve list during the past two weeks. So a minor injury wave has hit the NHL as we've started the new year. But nothing quite peaks the Sabres situation since currently they have three goalies in their injured list and two more are in protocol plus one suspended so if this trend continues Rasmus Dahlin has to step into their crease because the goalies are falling left, right and center from their net. Not that they would have been competitive this year but it has just been hilarious to see their goalie carousel unraveling but at least some guys have had a chance to show their abilities which wouldn't have been possible in any other circumstance. And at this point I wouldn't even be surprised if they suited up an e-bug to their crease and brought some additional entertainment value for the franchise because currently it isn't from the top end of the league for sure. Speaking of the suspension, I also had to add the fact that Arundel got suspended for his hit this week which led to Patterson's injury, so as we've seen during the past few seasons, goalies have stealthily started to hit players behind the net while going for pucks, and I think that NHL needs to take a stand on this situation since this is an alarming example where a player gets hurt because he is not expecting a goalie to hit him. So either every time goalie interferes with a player physically around the net gets called as a penalty, or simply once they leave the blue paint, they are fair game for everyone, plain and simple. I mean, they got big pads on, so if you would decide to leave your crease to play the puck and Tom Wilson absolutely clobbers you, you are the one responsible for that, or the league clearly states that every type of interference will get called, since they already defend goalies around the blue paint as it is. I don't 100% support the idea of goalies being eligible for hits so in my mind at this point it needs to be addressed that these kind of incidents won't be softened because they involve goalies and I think that this suspension is a good example from the league but it needs to be clear that if this will continue the suspensions won't only concern the skaters but goalies as well. Just wanted to involve this because I've noticed the increase in these kind of situations and to me they don't seem fair at all for the skaters because one small interference that doesn't get called in the offensive zone can lead to a goal at the other end and these games sometimes are decided on margins when it comes to the outcome so small props to the NHL but now is time to change the view from harmful hip checks to interference penalties called on the mast 
madman. Let's move on to Philadelphia to clear out the mess they made this season. Let me present to you the worst team in the Metropolitan Division, the Philadelphia Flyers. This team has seemingly hired Ben Simmons as their head coach because that would explain why he hasn't played a single game in the NBA this season and also explain the situation surrounding the Flyers. Like Jesus Christ have they been awful. The only shiny thing related to this organization so far has been the fact that Keith Yannel broke the NHL Ironman streak while wearing the uniform, but other than that, the whole team is in total shambles. Big congratulations to Song Daddy himself for his accomplishment, because it's incredible to think that this guy hasn't missed a regular season game since March 2009, and that he might even get overlapped by Phil Castle during the next two years, if he's able to stay healthy. Phil Hotdog is about 20-ish games behind Yandel and that thousand game mark is just half a season away for both guys, so I think that at least one of these two will break that record, which might not get beaten in the next 50 years since the former title holder, Doug Jarvis, held that record for himself for 35 years until Yans passed that 964-game record. It's mesmerizing to think that these two have been able to avoid major injuries during their career, and you gotta admit that it has to be a combination of both resilience and luck, because these guys have been in the league for many many years in top-line roles, and to accomplish such an achievement is just unthinkable in my mind. And now that he's broken the record, will his minutes be in jeopardy is another question on its own, but nevertheless, congrats to him for such a huge milestone. Yes, and by the way, if you have no clue what that phrase refers to, go on YouTube and type down Keith Yandel's song, S-O-N-K, and you will soon find out. You may use it as you please. But back to that recycling center called Philly, and before you start to argue that they've been hit with a lot of injuries, I'm very aware of that. But still the team is in a downward spiral and I have to put on a clown face for assuming that they were going to make the playoffs as the wildcard team in front of teams like Pittsburgh and the Rangers. And yes, I'm very ashamed of that. Team's leading scorer this year has been Gladiro and for certain Sanko Turiers and Ryan Ellis' injuries have weakened that team to a certain extent but you would assume that this group of players would pick up the slack and make it happen with such names as Giroud, Atkinson, Konechny, Ferebi, Juan Riemsdijk, Provorov, Sanheim, Hayes, and Ristolainen, but guess what? Hasn't happened. Especially their blue line has been very inconsistent and you can only put so much shame on the goaltenders because at least Carter Hart has picked up his game this year and hasn't been as big of a liability for the team as he was last year, so that should eliminate some speculation from the atmosphere. But like I said, Couturier's absence has had an impact to their top six, but to be fair, he hasn't been outstanding offensively in the 29 games he's played, so you can only put so much emphasis on that fact without acknowledging that the other guys have dropped the ball as well, not including Giroud and Atkinson. So scoring, nowhere to be found. Giroud and Atkinson, who was acquired in the offseason, have been the offensive leaders, as I said. But the supporting cast of Ferebi, Konechny, JVR, and Provorov has just been lackluster, and you can't blame Kevin Hayes, because you know how hard of a season he's had because of the passing of his brother Jimmy. So we will just leave that to the side. But more importantly, as I stated, their defense has been as useful as a decayed wooden ladder, and the plus-minus columns tell all you need to know about their defensive structure. All the way from minus 8 to minus 23, and even though they added Risto to their blue line during the summer, he hasn't been a wonder on their back end either, so something must be behind this mess other than their players, not that they've been world beaters to this point either. They already booted their former head coach Alain Vigneault from their bench, but Mike Yeo hasn't had a big impact on the team either, so 
it could be a big turnover in coming to Philly this offseason on both coaching front as well as the players' side. And while we are discussing the heads of the organization, it needs to be said that some major mishaps has happened in their GM spot as well. Since just a couple weeks back, few news outlets released statements where they discussed the antics of their former GM Ron Hextall and his stubborn leadership style related to how the organization was run during his time. As an example, some of their former employees stated that he was the one responsible for their draft picks during his time and pretty much left out all the opinions from their scouts which led to picks such as Nolan Patrick, German Rubzov, Isaac Radcliffe and J.E. O'Brien. And while Patrick isn't a total bust, according to one of their former staff members, the scouting staff was united in drafting Makar second overall, but Ronnie had made his mind and wanted to draft the future number one center for the team. And I mean, it's easy to say these things afterwards, but if you know anything about Hexel, you can easily believe that to be true without questions. These picks have obviously had an impact on the team since you could have eased the transition from the old guard to the youth, but since some of their top picks haven't banned out the way they expected and prospect pipeline is not filled with top tier talents, it has become a worrisome situation for the franchise. With their current pace, they are in on the Shane Wright raffle and it might be a big summer for the franchise if they end up deciding to retool or make big changes to their lineup, because seemingly the things aren't just working out in the city of brotherly love, and this cycle has gone on for many years now without any measurable results. They may be a big seller at the deadline, and Giroud has already been in the rumors, so I'm very eager to see if they have the guts to change the course of the organization and look past the next two years. Keeping tabs on Philly, so I'll keep you up to date on the Flyers saga as well. Few of the sports legends also got their jerseys raised in the rafters of both American Airlines Center and the world-famous Madison Square Garden of all places this week. And I think that you have pretty clear image of who this other guy might be, but let me still cover both guys. Couple nights ago, Former Dallas Stars defenseman Russian Sergei Zubov attended his jersey retirement ceremony as his number 56 was raised up to the rafters alongside five other Dallas legends. Meanwhile, number 30 became the third goalie number retired in the Rangers' history, and for a very good reason. The ageless, handsome bastard Henrik Kungenlundqvist got his jersey retired as well, and there is no doubt about him becoming a member of the NHL Hall of Fame at some point in the future. One of, if not the best Swedish goaltender in the league ever, earned his right and it will be a part of Rangers history forever. And that is an honorable company to be in. And the future Rangers goalies have to start thinking about more original jersey numbers since now they've retired all the so-called basic numbers, 1, 30 and 35, so... We are going to see some not-so-ordinary numbers on their jerseys in the future. Great honor for both guys and big congratulations from my side. No doubt both guys earned the right to be part of both organizations' history. And lastly, before we move on to our main topic, I need to address the situation regarding Jacob Chikrin since even though I said that I wouldn't advise the Yotes to trade his ass away from the Arizona the assumption at this point is that he is leaving the city because of the market situation and seemingly the return they are going to get for their number one defenseman. I love Chikrin's game and to me he should be the backbone of their defense going forward while Clayton Keller will be the face of their forward group. But now it seems as the whole team is going to start from a scratch and even going to consider a move to Arizona State University Stadium, which only holds 5,000 fans, which is a total joke on its own. But if they have decided last summer that the team needs a total reconstruction, you might as well go for it. But at least I'm not supporting this idea of trading Jikarin away. You've seen what kind of an impact he's able to make on your blue line. So to me, it just seems ridiculous to consider trading away a future top pairing defenseman ahead of a rebuild, but 
who am I to say anything? I just manage fantasy teams on NHL. Let me know what you think of the situation since I'm very eager to hear your thoughts on this matter and if you were the Oats GM, what would be your stance on the current situation? But those were all the most essential headlines from the past week and now that we've gone through them, I think we move to our last and the main topic of this episode, which concerns the Finns in the NHL and their performances so far this season. So take a nice big sip of the beverage you prefer and let's head to our last topic of this episode. Alright bucko, heading towards the finish line of this episode, no pun intended, but before we reach that, we have to go through the Finns that have represented the country in the NHL this year and break down their impacts on their respective teams. So let's get to it. We will go through the teams in an alphabetical order, and since there ain't any Finns in Anaheim or Arizona, we will kick things off with Boston since we have three players now on the roster. First off, we have Tukarask in the net, but since we already covered his comeback last week and also discussed Urho Vaganainen's performances on their blue line, the last player remaining is Erik Haula, who has taken his spot as their second line center. 16 points through 40 games isn't going to shut the lights off, but now that he's found chemistry with the speedster, Taylor Hall and the blessed Czech goalscorer David Pasternak, we could see his numbers improving if that line stays intact. He's a purebred two-way center who excels on the penalty kill and in the defensive zone because of his speed and hard-working mentality, but while he has never been the biggest goal scorer on the next level, you start to wonder if the second line role is going to be a bit too demanding considering his offensive production, which hasn't been quite up to expectations of that role. So overall, not totally clean papers for him from the first half, but quite honestly has claimed bigger role from the team that many expected before the season started, and is always going to bring his defensive game to the table. In Buffalo, we have three names to discuss, and they are Ukko-Pekka Luukkonen, Henri Jokiharju and Arttu Ruotsalainen. Ruotsalainen started the season up top, but was later assigned to Rochester for some AHL duty, and since has recorded 14 points in 18 AHL games. Up top, he didn't quite get to the same scoring pace that he ended the last year with, but was able to put up two goals and two assists in 18 games, and most likely is going to get another opportunity up top if he keeps on adding points to his name in the A. Lukonedo has spent most of the season up top, whether it has been a backup role or a starting job, because of the lack of playable goaltenders in their roster, but thus far he's played 9 games with very respectable 0.917 save percentage and 2.74 goals against average so you could say that he has pretty much continued where he left off last year with the Sabres, and good numbers all around when compared to the other starters on the team, plus will without a doubt be a stable starter for the Sabres in a couple of years. The last player from the Sabres is Henry Okiharju, who has battled with some injuries this season, but has been a solid two-way presence on their top four. Nine points in 26 games is respectable, but as you could expect, it is hard to stand out on this team when you don't get to enjoy the elite level line mates. And since he's now been in the league for a couple of years already, one could expect a small increase to his offensive numbers. But as you know, in Buffalo, the defense is the bigger concern, so we'll see if he ends up staying healthy and increasing his numbers offensively in the second part of the season. In Calgary, the situation is quite different since the only Finnish player in their squad, Juuso Välimäki, has spent most of the season in the AHL organization Stockton Heat. And currently, the question is if a change of scenery would be the best possible outcome for his future. Liga's best blue liner during the COVID season was a stable force in their back end during the start of the season, but in November, the AHL called and he hasn't seen the NHL eyes since. 10 games in the A with 7 points to his name, and quite honestly, he doesn't belong to that league. But if you know anything about the old cranky Daryl Sutter, you know that he prefers his big rugged defenseman, and since the left side of their blue line is already quite stacked with names such as Hanifin, Zadorov, and Shillington, who has finally made his way to their top 4, there ain't too many opportunities to break into that side, 
if the coach has a certain preference with their roles. Valimäki is a tremendous two-way pivot who has both offensive and defensive skills that are needed in the next level and for sure holds potential of a future top four blue liner. So this is not the place for him for much longer. Hopefully he gets the chance to fight his way back to their top six, but if that doesn't happen, the trade is the best possible option for his future without a doubt. In Carolina, we got a bunch of names to go through and most of them are already household names, so we won't spend too much time discussing their performances since for the most part, the stats speak for themselves. Sebastian Aho, their leading scorer with 44 points in 37 games. Teravainen with 32 in 39. Kotkaniemi with 20 points through 40 games. And in goal, Antiranta has started 10 games with 0.908 save percentage and 2.35 goals against average. Kotkaniemi has surprised me to some extent and is on his way to best offensive season of his career while playing pretty limited minutes on the Canes roster. Aho is currently their best producer as you could expect, and second overall in scoring when it comes to Finnish players only behind Mikko Rantanen. The Canes are one of the top teams in the league, and the Finns are playing a big part in that. So as I said, the expectations are set, and now they just need to execute. On to Chicago. In the Windy City, the Finnish representation hasn't been quite as good as in Carolina, and the two names involved have been quite up to par when it comes to teams' overall performances. Sarcasm involved. Henrik Borgström, who I anticipated to make his offensive breakthrough this season, has only registered 7 points in 30 games, and goaltender Kevin Langinen has posted 0.889 save percentage and 3.41 goals against average, which are not the stats we expect from these two guys. The team has been relying on their best players on offense, but when it comes to their defensive game, it has been one of the worst in the entire league, which has reflected in their results. It is most likely going to be a very difficult season for both of them, and you can only hope that they can improve their game on the personal level in the second part of the season. Somewhat surprisingly, in Colorado we have three names that need to be included since Samparanta and Justus Annonen have made their NHL debuts this season. Annonen has played in two games for the Avs with very low stats so we will pass by them, but has played 28 games for the Eagles in the AHL and has kept on improving on his numbers from the last season. Quite middle of the road grade so far, but only second season in North America so quite a large learning curve ahead and we gotta give some time to adjust to the faster pace. Randa as well has played majority of the season in the AHL quite understandably when you look at the current NHL roster and in the A has racked up 10 points in 25 games while getting his first taste of NHL action in 10 games. Could find his way into the NHL in one or two seasons in a supporting role because of his skills and two-way ability, but until then he will wreak havoc in the AHL. The last player on the Avs doesn't need much of an introduction since the guy has been their best player this season and is on his way to a 40-goal season with his current pace. Mikko Rantanen, the current best point-getter amongst the fans, has outstanding 51 points in 39 games and will have another plus 100-point season if he stays healthy. Not much else needs to be said about his performances, so we will move on to Columbus. In Columbus, the two notable names are Patrick Laine and Jonas Korpisalo. And after his rough start to the year, Laine has put the foot on the gas and racked up 17 points through 22 games. And meanwhile, there's still a lot to hold for on the production side of things. You need to keep in mind the fact that he lost his father just a few months back, so without a doubt, that has had an effect to his game. It's a promising sign that he's been able to put up points, but... I wouldn't put too much pressure on the guy after such a tough experience. Korpisalo though hasn't been up to his level and has frequently appeared in the rumors and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in another uniform this season. 16 games, 0.884 save percentage and 3.89 goals against average isn't very tempting but for a playoff team that is in desperate need for a backup, 
could be the guy to fill that role. So overall, pretty two-folded season on the Finnish front, but we'll see what comes out of it during the spring. In Dallas, the Finnish mob is very much present, and the top guns Miro Heiskanen, Robe Hintz and Esa Lindell are representing the country in a nice fashion. Hintz, another possible 40-goal scorer, has racked up 36 points through 39 games. Heiskanen has put up 25 points in 40 games. Lindell with 12 points through 41 games. Meanwhile, Joel Kiviranta and Jani Hakampa have racked up 5 and 7 points to their names. Hakampa's impact especially has been surprisingly big in their back end. Meanwhile, the top guns are leading the team on both ends of the ice. Kiviranta has filled up his role as a two-way energy player in their bottom six, and Hakampa has only missed one game so far this season, so very solid contributions all around for the Finns, and most of them are in critical roles going forward in Dallas. Then we are going to skip the Red Wings since we don't have any Finns on their current roster, but on the Oilers squad we've seen three different Finns representing the country. In goal, Mikko Koskinen with 0.900 save percentage and 3.18 goals against average in 24 games. In the back end, Markus Niemelainen made his NHL debut. And up top, we have the nice Bison himself, aka Jesse Puljujärvi, with 25 points in 37 games. Koskinen's game has been somewhat erratic, which we've come accustomed to, and Puljujärvi has slowed down a bit from his monster start to the season, while Niemelainen appeared in seven games for the Oils before getting assigned back to Bakersfield but solid showing nevertheless for the towering defenseman. Koskinen has picked up his pace in recent games, and that is exactly what the Oilers need going forward. Ampulio has already reached his best point total in 18 less games, so good first half of the season for him as well. We'll see what their projection is on the second half, but not too shabby for the Finns so far. In Florida though, once again we have more Finnish representation and just like the team, the players have rise to the occasion. Markov leading the bunch with 36 points in 31 games. Breakthrough player Anton Lundell has racked up 27 points in 40 games. Eetu Luostarinen has impressed with this defensive game and added 15 points in 40 games to go along. While Markus Notivara has suffered from an injury almost for the entire season. Alexi Heponemi and Oli Ulevi have also appeared in their lineup, but the effect has been quite small, so we are not going to dive too deep on these two this time. Heponemi has kept up his pace in the A by racking up 20 points in 25 games and has deserved a few stints up top with his performances, but the duo Lundel-Luostarinen has impressed many this season and their two-way game has been essential in their success without forgetting the leadership role that Barkov carries on their lineup, night in and night out. Lundell has found his offensive touch in the bright lights, and the Panthers have a real weapon in their hands for years to come, alongside his Finnish counterpart from Tampere. Very solid appearances for most guys, and Florida will battle for the cup this year, so a lengthy spring is expected from this bunch this year. Next up, the Los Angeles Kings. On the Kings roster, we have two names worth mentioning, and they are Rasmus Kupari and Olli Matta. Matta has been a steady presence on their back end and has put up three points in 29 games, while we are not expecting huge offensive numbers from him this far into his career. But Kupari's breakthrough to their NHL roster has been impressive, and even though his offensive numbers don't jump out at you, he has showcased his skills on their lineup and is a strong asset for their top 9 going forward. 9 points in 37 games is respectable for a rookie, and only more can be expected from him in the second part of the season. Short and simple, let's move on to Minnesota. In Mini, the only Finn on the roster is Kaapo Kahkonen, and I think that his numbers pretty much sum up his current season. 0.921 save percentage and 2.49 goals against average in a backup role isn't too shabby, and I would expect more starts for him after the slow start to his season. Next up, Montreal. 
Well, the Habs have seen one or two Finns on the roster this season, but just like their team's performance, there ain't too much to analyze on the personal level either. Aramia has been disappointing this year, but seemingly the symptoms from last year's disease has slowed down his play, and you can sense that he's not operating with a full gas tank at the moment. Just 5 points through 32 games isn't what we expect from him, and we can only hope that he gets his game back to level what we've come accustomed to. Saminiku, who entered the waivers this week, has put up 6 points in 13 games. Arturi Lehkonen, who has been the responsible workhorse for them, has put up 16 points in 39 games, while Jesse Ylönen debuted for the Habs and put up 2 points in 7 NHL games. So as I said, the team's performance reflects on the individual front as well, and not much more can be expected from these guys this season. Three names, and two of them, have been absolute rock stars so far. Jose Saros and Mikael Granlund. Granny with 37 points in 43 games and Saros humble stat line of 0.927 save percentage and 2.36 goals against average. How are ya? No need to analyze their performance more than that. And the last remaining name is Eli Tolvanen who hasn't so far quite reached the output levels from the past year but is bound to improve his numbers once he starts to find the back of the net. 15 points through 42 games isn't awful, but you would expect more from him when you look at how the team has performed to this point and how much ice time he gets. But I think that's enough said, so let's move on to New Jersey and see how Janne Kuokkanen has done so far. Well, I'm gonna tell you his stats and you can be the judge on his performance so far. 39 games, 9 points, minus 10 on the plus-minus column. Yeah, probably better to leave it at that, so let's head to Long Island. The most recent riser in amongst the Finns has been Robin Salo, who just a few nights ago recorded his first goal in the NHL, and overall has registered 3 points in 17 games. Still learning the ropes of the NHL hockey, but at least to me, he has had a pretty good start in a struggling Islanders team. Otto Koivula has also appeared on their lineup in three games, but he's been ripping apart the A in Bridgeport, where he's racked up 29 points in 32 games for the Isles farm team. To me, he has a place in their bottom six in the future, but the defensive game will determine if he stays as an extremely productive HL forward, or if he's able to secure a spot in the bright lights in a supporting role. Nothing major, but promising signs for these two going forward. In the Big Apple, the only Finn is the second overall pick, Kaapo Kakko, and although he has improved his offensive numbers this year, there's still plenty of room to improve on, and we can only hope that his current injury isn't bad, that's going to keep him sidelined for too long. He's slowly creeping towards his best point total in the NHL, and the defensive game has improved tremendously since coming into the league, but the major offensive toolkit is still waiting to be found, and quite honestly, while playing alongside names like Kreider, Zipanejad, Strom, Panarin and Fox with top line minutes, you would assume that the points would come even without too much effort. But on the hindsight, I have no doubts about his production capabilities once he gets the huge monkey off his back. Next on the line, we have Ottawa. Only one name once again, and that is the right-handed blue liner Lassie Thompson, who has now appeared in 14 games for the Senators this season. Four assists in those games, and in the A, five goals and three assists in 15 games speaks for his offensive capabilities. But his defensive game is still work in progress, and there's a lot of work to be done in order to become a stable name on the next level. The toolset is there to become a power play blue liner, but the defensive game has to improve in order to find his full potential. So promising signs, but still a plenty to work on. We continue to our next destination, Philadelphia. And the same trend continues. One name, Rasmus Ristolainen. And if the team's season has been a disaster so far, almost the same can be said about his personal season. 39 games, 10 points, and minus 12 plus minus category, and hasn't had the impact that most hoped for once he arrived from Buffalo. 
He's still a menace in the defensive zone and around his own net, but the analytical data starts to show that his numbers in Buffalo weren't as floated as previously thought. And he's not the one to blame for this team's weak defense, but as a top 4D man, those numbers should be better. And I believe that Risto isn't fully impressed by his own game either. Like I said in the start of the episode, interesting times ahead in Philly, so we'll see if Risto will be brought back for another few seasons, or if his career continues elsewhere, since he could be a valuable asset for a playoff team because of his gritty play style. In Pittsburgh, we have three names worth mentioning, and they are Juuso Rikola, Kasper Björkvist, and Kasperi Kapanen. Rikola has played only five games up top with one point to his name, while he has clowned with the AHL by putting up 12 points in 16 games with Wilkes-Barre Scranton. I would hope to see him on the NHL ice more, and at this point a change of scenery could probably do good for him, since he has a very enticing skill set and strong skating, which could benefit many teams missing that puck-moving blue liner. Björkvist made his NHL debut a couple weeks back and scored his first NHL goal in that same game. In the AHL, he hasn't shot the lights out, but we know that he excels in his own defensive end, and that was the reason why he was brought up to the NHL. The last remaining Finn is Kasperi Kapanen, who has so far racked up 24 points in 43 games and has been his usual self, bringing his speed and two-way prowess to their lineup while chipping in offensively from time to time. A bit more is expected from him offensively, but as long as he stays dependable defensively, he will have a place in their top six if nothing drastic happens. In San Jose, the only Finnish player on the roster this year has been defenseman Santeri Hatakka, who played seven games with the Sharks and recorded his first point while doing so. 13 games in the A as well, and he brought his defensive game to the table, which is expected, so nothing too amazing, but nice to see him make his NHL debut so early on his North American career. In Seattle, once again, we have only one name to consider, and that is Jonas Donskoy, who has had an underwhelming season, but that was pretty much expected after a tremendous previous year in Colorado. Only 14 points in 42 games and not a single goal to his name isn't what we've come accustomed to, but when you know how his game depends on strong defensive game, while playing alongside not so play driving forwards on the third line, you start to understand why those numbers from the past year just won't magically translate to Seattle. I hope that he's able to find the back of the net sooner rather than later, but when it comes to the expectations concerning his offensive numbers, to put it this way, I wouldn't pick him in my fantasy team if they are based on production. Let's move on to St. Louis. Two names, Nico Mikkola and Ville Husso. Mikkola has claimed back his spot in their top six and has been operating alongside Colton Pareko in their first pairing and has been able to put up seven points in 28 games while shining in his own zone. Ville Husso has had an amazing comeback from the past few seasons and currently rocks with 0.945 save percentage and 1.81 goals against average after just 14 starts. He has now taken the starter role from Bennington and finally looked like the goalie we expected him to become on the next level, so hopefully this trend continues and we can have another elite Finnish netminder in the NHL for the foreseeable future. Next on the line is Vancouver, since both Tampa Bay and Toronto haven't had any Finnish names on the roster this year. So the next guy we will check out is the hardworking Finnish center, Juho Lammikko. 36 games, 6 points in the process isn't anything out of the ordinary, but when you play on the fourth line ice time, there isn't much to be expected offensively. He has brought his solid two-way game to the table and made a favorable impression in their bottom six. And the last team from this run-through is going to be the Winnipeg Jets since the Caps haven't dressed any fins in the NHL level and the two names from the Jets that we are going to go through are Ville Heinola and Christian Vesalainen. Vesalainen has played 36 games this year, while Heinola has only appeared in three games this year. 
but has once again proved why so many are expecting him to become a future top 4 D-man for the Jets organization. No points in the NHL level, but 16 through 24 AHL games shows you the offensive tools that he possesses. Meanwhile, many who are familiar with this game would expect better offensive numbers from Vesalainen. You are not expected to be on the score sheet every night on a bottom six roll, but only three points in 36 games isn't quite up to par either. So we'll see if he's able to find his offensive game or do the Jets try to look for replacements before his ELC runs out. Hopefully this coverage brought you up to pace on how the Finns have done so far this season. And while there weren't any major surprises amongst the players we went through, the top guns have performed at the level we expect them to, and we are only halfway through the season, so there's still plenty of room to improve for every player. As a last note, I have to mention the biggest news flash from this week before we sign off, since the GOAT himself, Tom Brady, decided to retire from the sport after their loss to the Rams last weekend, so the fairy tale is now over. And we get to see if any player is able to break his records in our lifetime. I highly doubt it, but the thing in this life is that nothing is certain, so we will keep that in mind. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Drop Pass podcast. And especially you, who stayed until this point, are a true survivor. Tell all your friends and family about this train wreck of a podcast and leave a rating on Spotify to get other notice this weekly carnival as well. That's all for this week. I'm signing off. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.